0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kynas Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara.
1: And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings.
0: Indeed we are. And that is something we are going to be doing today. In case you are unfamiliar with the name Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's becoming pretty... Familiar, I guess. More people have become aware of her. I certainly was not aware of her until most recently. I know you follow these types of things more than I do, so her name is more familiar to you than to me.
1: Perhaps best well known for her CrossFit uh, routines. You lie. No, she actually yeah, does CrossFit.
0: Oh, look at that! I didn't even know that.
1: Someone posted on Twitter like a like she posted this video of like her her. Uh, uh, workout.
0: What a fascinating woman.
1: Yeah, and like people were like dunking on her like, "Oh, look at her." I'm like, "There's a lot of things that you could say about Marjorie Taylor Greene that you could criticize, but like it was like a really good workout." Nice. And I was like, "I don't understand like why people are upset about this. There's a lot of other things to be upset about or to argue with, but Well,
0: I think that's the thing about her and her name. Like you just say her name now and either you really like her and you're familiar with her for all of the right reasons in your opinion or you strongly dislike her and you're familiar with her because of a lot of wrong reasons.
1: Yeah. It's just one of those things like once you don't like somebody, like anything All of a they do is you, like, worth yeah. criticism. Even the thing that is like completely innocuous and or really healthy and actually kind of impressive.
0: Yeah. So if you don't like her, then her doing CrossFit is incredibly inimpressive to you. Yeah, I guess. Inimpressive? Unimpressive. <laughs> I just made up a word. Welcome to Kynos Project. I make up words.
1: Two published authors... And not an ability to (laughs) string one English (laughs) sentence together between them.
0: Yes. So today we are going to be talking um, about CrossFit. False. We are not talking about that. You really threw me off. So in case you have never heard of um, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she has become one of the greatest proponents of Christian nationalism.
1: And so that's what we're going to talk about today, Christian nationalism, which is a nice, non-controversial topic that we will dive into in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case
0: and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life.
1: So, Christian nationalism.
0: It is a very controversial topic. We've been doing that a lot lately. Look at us. I don't know why we're choosing to do these things, but it's an important conversation. That's what as happens when, you, when convers- you let me
1: choose the topics. This is what you did. <laughs> yes.
0: Do. As all of the conversations we have here, they are important ones. Uh, so, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, again, has been making headlines for a lot of reasons, primarily in this moment. It is because of her very vocal um, platform for Christian nationalism. And this has a lot of people upset. It has a lot of people, I guess, excited. There's uh, many who are choosing to support her and now call themselves Christian nationalists. And it is a label they are very proudly wearing and publicizing and saying this is who they are. So we thought it would be worthwhile to have a conversation. Obviously, we are Christians. And is it good to be a Christian nationalist? Is it not good to be a Christian nationalist? Like what conversation should we be having around this topic? And is it a little bit more nuanced than I think the conversations happening publicly right now?
1: Yeah, so Green is a bit of a unique character in the Christian nationalism conversation, because there have been a number of pretty conservative, some might call them right-wing representatives in Congress that have been kind of talking about themes that would be considered more Christian nationalist themes, whether it's uh, Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado, who has recently said that she's sick and tired of this distinction between church and state, which isn't in the Constitution, which isn't in the First Amendment, Um, that language isn't uh, actually explicitly in the First Amendment, but we can derive it from there. And it's been derived uh, and it's been actually explicit in some Supreme Court cases. But she says separation of church and state, that's not a thing that the founders wanted. There have been others like Matt Gates that have have said similar things uh, like that and have certainly been in the same vein of that. Uh, but Marjorie Taylor Greene really made headlines when she said I am a Christian nationalist, and that kind of has gone against what the prevailing thought has been because these more right-wing characters in the the public sphere have been accused of being Christian nationalists, but they have all said, I'm not a Christian nationalist. That's just a slur that the left has made up. Uh, That's a made-up term that is meant to... Uh, just kind of deride Christians who are in the public sphere. And Green has really taken a pivot and said, you know what? I am. I am a Christian nationalist and I'm not ashamed of it. And you shouldn't be ashamed of it either.
0: Well, and not only is she calling herself a Christian nationalist, but she's calling the entire Republican Party and anyone who says they are Republican to push this agenda into motion to call themselves Christian nationalists and even essentially for the Republican Party and Christian nationalism to become one thing. It's now a synonym of one another as opposed to, yes, I'm a Republican and yes, I'm Christian, but those are not all one and the same thing. Now she is very publicly... And proudly saying they are the same thing, they should be the same thing, and as people of America, we should make that the same thing. And many people are saying, yes, absolutely, we agree.
1: Yeah, she said it in a couple of different places. I think the first place was... At a Turning Point event, uh, where she right. basically said in a speech,
0: it was like a conference or something. Yeah, right? it was a, a,
1: a student conference um, for Turning Point, and she said, "If the Republican Party is to fulfill all that it has promised to fulfill and become all that it's intended to be, then it needs to be the party of Christian nationalists." And so, she's kind of the first one to say that and to say it proudly and to uh, put it on coffee mugs and T-shirts, even that I am I've a proud seen, I've Christian seen the nationalist.
0: Yeah, so apart from all of the other opinions that we can draw about Green's political views, uh, today we, we purely want to discuss the latest wave of Christian nationalism. Again, is this something that Christians should be subscribing to? After all, shouldn't we want our Christian ethics and morals to be the way our society operates? Wouldn't our world be a better place if the politics of our nation aligned with Christian morals and ethics? Is... Christian nationalism a way of thinking that Christians should align with, or is this something we should be disassociating ourselves with entirely?
1: I definitely have some strong feelings about that, but we should probably define what we're talking about yes. first. So in defining Christian nationalism, that's part of the thing that's a little bit tough with this conversation because that's a term that kind of gets thrown around a lot and it's kind of like woke or CRT. It's very like ill-defined and depending on who you Talk to uh they define it one way or another, uh, but there have been a couple of different um definitions of Christian nationalism that we think are are helpful, and um one of those was recently uh by Matthew McCullough, the author of the Cross of war christian nationalism and the u s expansion in the spanish american war what do you know what year that was written I don't. I know it
0: was more recent.
1: It's more recent. I don't know if it was this year or if it was a a couple of years. It wasn't this year. I think it might
0: have been twenty twenty, maybe.
1: Okay, so relatively recently. But Mm -hmm. Matthew McCullough, by the way, when you sent me this note, I read that as Matthew McConaughey, so I like read the definition in his voice, which I won't try to do for the listeners at home. But he defines this is not Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. But he defines I'm not going to do it, but the people at home are like, it'd be cooler if you did.
0: Is Was that, was that it right there?
1: Yeah. That was really, you,
0: that was great.
1: Have you never seen Dazed and Confused?
0: I have, but I, I just don't know if that's what you were doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll let the listeners at home decide. Okay, they can but,
0: vote. We'll do an Instagram poll.
1: But anyways, Matthew McConaughey... Uh, defines Christian nationalism as an understanding of American identity and significance held by Christians, wherein the nation is a central actor in the world historical purposes of the Christian God. And so uh, what he's saying is basically that um, the the nation and the, the state, the government, according to Christian nationalists, should be defined by a Christian worldview. And basically anything contrary to that is what should be fought against, what should be put to the margins. Um, and that's how he defines uh, Christian nationalism. the The definition that I really like um, was given a couple of months ago by um, author and historian Jamar Tisby, who said that Christian nationalism is an ethnocultural ideology that uses Christian symbolism to create a permission structure for the acquisition of political power and social control. So, in other words, Christian nationalism, as defined this way, is a means by which, uh, essentially, an ethnocentric culture of of, of whiteness and really uh, white evangelicalism is kind of all wrapped up in there. Uh, it can maintain a position of power and supremacy by wedding kind of the culture of uh, a subset of Americans that identify as Christian that aren't the only ones that identify as Christian, but wedding that particular culture to Christian imagery and equating the two as essentially, uh, as essential aspects of, of tradition and, uh, really the, the struggle for political control, uh, being portrayed as as a godly sense of good versus evil that good must prevail in society and in order for that to happen this particular ethno-religious subset of culture needs to be the defining culture not only of the the country culturally but but governmentally in the state
0: and even as you read these definitions something that you hinted on earlier Uh, in the podcast was, we've never before seen someone proudly identify as a Christian nationalist. So oftentimes, this was used as like an offense thrown from the other side. It wasn't anything someone wanted to fully accept as a term to identify themselves because it hasn't really been seen in a very positive light. But what Marjorie
1: Taylor, Taylor
0: Green. Green, I always say Green Taylor. Marjorie Taylor Green has done is she's taken on this label, this identity of being a Christian nationalist and made it something that people are now proud of, something that they're literally wearing on their t-shirts. And the way that she's a- been able to turn that turn, turn the term, is by saying, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm proud of it why would I want to not be proud of being a follower of Jesus? So obviously you think, well, of course, I I don't want to say I'm not proud of following Jesus. And of course, I'm going to have a Christ-centered worldview. So of course, that's going to move into my politics. So you kind of see the slippery slope, I guess, of the way that this Christian nationalist term that was once seen negatively, if someone called you that, you didn't want to be called that
1: right it's not that it ever didn't exist as a shades of a movement but just no one ever wanted to be called that
0: exactly until now people want to be called christian nationalist and based on these definitions something that's interesting about the movement of christian nationalism is that oftentimes it has actually been followed by or come alongside like this strong expression of um militarism, militarism, because as a Christian, you're trying to push forward this Christian agenda. And if things are not falling in line with that, the way that we combat it is by like a heavy handed military. And correct me if I'm wrong, I have not seen um, Marjorie Taylor Greene do this yet. But I did find it kind of interesting that One of her ads for her new shirt that's, what does it say? Proud to be a Christian nationalist. Something like that, yeah. Um, The graphic behind it is actually her standing there with, like, both of her fists up in, like, this, uh, like, fight mode. And I just thought, like, man, that's so interesting that the history of Christian nationalism often comes alongside this very um, heavy military force. And it's pretty aggressive it's pretty like physically threatening and even just from a marketing perspective her ad or her graphic to sell her t-shirts like follows that same resemblance.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit on the nose because one of the defining characteristics of Christian nationalism is not that you have uh, necessarily that your Christian morals and values inform what you do in the public square. It's that there is necessarily on every single policy issue, there is a quote unquote Christian view of legislation Um, And we need to get that Christian view of legislation passed and retained and preserved. Um, And if we need to jettison Christian virtue in order for the Christian position to prevail, then that's – what we need to do and so things like love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness
0: those go out the window
1: like those are those are are going to be a a detriment to you and if they're going to be a detriment to you then we need to jettison those so that the christian position can fail which is a military mindset where you make concessions on things to uh, win basically uh, rather than to be formed by kind of a, a fully orbed Uh, Understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus. And so it is a very much uh, an us versus them existential threat militaristic language, sometimes literally military like military language, but if not more of a a spiritual militarism or a moral Mm -hmm. militarism. Uh, with regard to any given piece of legislation, whether it's about banning CRT, whether it's about uh, whatever it might be, uh, seen as like this kind of godless whatever, uh, and it's military that's, language. that's
0: often the language used, right, is we're combating, we're fighting against this godlessness, but it is always wrapped up in that very aggressive uh, fight language. And there's just something about that, overarching theme that follows even since the cold war up until now, especially like with Roe v. Wade, all of that has been this strong, aggressive fight language. Like we need to fight to get our Christian views as the mainstream view and anything other than that is going to get in our way and we are going to like overtake it by all means possible.
1: And it's crazy too, because those things like abortion, uh, justice like yeah. those things do have theological implication and theological roots in those arguments, but um someone on a Christian nationalist side would even use militaristic language with things like tax policy, which is not necessarily a a moral issue in a lot of senses. It's pretty pedantic in in a lot of ways. Like how does the economy flourish and economists argue about that? No, we're fighting against the evils Mm -hmm. of the left and Mm -hmm. their social, whatever tax policy. And so uh, it is very much in, in that strain of uh, kind of anger and fight.
0: Well, and as you follow the history of Christian nationalism, oftentimes the the true heart or the true care of the movement becomes less and less about the details of the politician's personal faith and more about whether or not they're going to champion the right Christian side of things like we don't really care about where you are in your personal faith and how you're actually carrying that out as long as you are fighting for
1: the right thing the
0: right thing quote unquote right thing
1: Yeah, so we want to take a look at some of the history of Christian nationalism, and we'll do that in just a moment. Okay, so when we're looking at the history of nationalism, and particularly religious nationalism, uh, a lot of times ethnic nationalism, religious nationalism, those things end up being bound together in some form or another. But anytime we see religious nationalism and an entire society being forced to operate under one religious ideal— things have tended to go south, both for the religion in question and for the people living in that nation.
0: Right. And there are certainly plenty of examples happening. And again, what we're talking about now is religious nationalism, so not necessarily Christian nationalism. But it still is following the same train of thought that, again, when you want the entire society to operate based on one specific religious um, worldview, things just haven't gone well throughout our history. And one of the most notable conflicts that stemmed from religious differences were the Crusades. Uh, between the 11th and 15th centuries, there were a series of wars um, and the goal was to gain control of the Holy Land. Which this- is Israel, right? Yeah. Israel, right. So this was between Christian Europe and the Muslims who controlled the Middle East region. And there was a lot of bloodshed. There was a lot of fights. And all of this stemmed from the religious nationalism. And so we see like entire wars were created around religious views and pushing a religious agenda forward. And obviously the crusades, particularly within the Christian um, religion, the history of our religion is a very shameful moment in the history of the church.
1: And really what you're talking about is the first Christian nationalistic empire which was – started with the, yeah. the uh, Constantinian Roman Empire where in 300-something A.D. he said, we are a Christian nation now. And so the epicenter was in um, – whether it was in Rome or Constantinople, uh, eventually uh, different shades of this moved up into uh, more Western Europe like in England and that kind of became an epicenter of a, a different Christian nationalist empire. Um, but really, when we talk about the Crusades, like this is where Christian nationalism we see it f- first, and it's it's kind of the full ugliness of it, and yeah. um and just the the bloodshed that resulted.
0: Right. Again, it's not a proud moment in Christian history. Uh, and then w- another example is the Thirty Years' War, which took place in the 1600s. This is when the Holy Roman Emperor. Ferdinand II tried to impose Roman Catholicism on all of his subjects. As you can imagine, the Protestant Christians were not very excited about this. Uh, they didn't take to his new rulings very well. And this actually resulted in, again, the Thirty Years' War, the the fight over, essentially, Roman Catholicism and Protestant Christianity. And it resulted in millions of cal- casualties, Another example, which is not tied to the Christian faith, I mean, sort of is, in the 17th century, Japan had executed hundreds of Christians. Again, that was a sense of uh, religious nationalism, and obviously Christianity was... The opposing religion in Japan at the time
1: yeah interesting just going back to the Crusades there yeah. was not just one religious nationalism but two opposing religious nationalisms yes which in the there, Crusades. Was, there was the the Muslim Empire and then there mm-hmm. was the Christian Empire and then they were both going toe-to-toe and we see something uh, different in the 17th century with Japan, with Japan where it was right? really one form of nationalism uh, stamping out the marginalized religious group which happened to be Christians
0: yes and in the 1840s, there was a massive explosion of Mormons from Missouri and Illinois. And what was happening is they were actually being forced out of these two states. Um, so Mormons were actually one of the prominent groups within these two states. But the I actually believe from what I read on it, it was the Christians who weren't very happy about this and started to push the Mormons out.
1: Yeah, it was Protestant Christians that pushed out yes. the the yes. Mormons. Um,
0: and then even if we look at today in terms of religious nationalism, most of the wars that are happening in the Middle East right now are led by religious groups from differing views. So again, it's it's not even just one religion. You see the opposition of two religious beliefs that are are trying to push forward their worldview and it's actually causing bloodshed and conflict in very real ways.
1: Yeah, usually within two different sectors of, of Islam. Yes. In the same way that we see um, these nationalistic fights throughout history through different Christian sects. Um, and that's this what's happening today in a lot of the Middle Eastern world with uh, different sects of Islam.
0: Right. So overall, when it comes to religious nationalism, whether you're looking back before America was even born... Um, and up until now, like we have seen people who take on religious nationalism and very, very badly. And like you said before, not only for the people involved that are being forced to follow these views that they don't agree with, but also for the religion itself. Um, I go back to the Crusades because I think that's probably one of the most noteworthy wars that has happened throughout Christian history. And obviously, we are christians so it's something we have to be aware of and something like we have to acknowledge and say that was wrong that should not have happened and we would be foolish not to look back at our own church history as our our own history that we have come from and to not see the red flags and to not see the warning signs as it comes to trying to adopt that same view all over again and i'm not saying we're heading into the crusades but I am saying can we not look back at something when this was the agenda this was the force moving us forward this was the mentality we were trying to operate under and like how did that end Yeah Maybe maybe it can work but I don't know like history just hasn't shown it does
1: And it is interesting now where where you see differing uh, factions within even white evangelicalism where you, th- you think about Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and the like, um, with this kind of version of white evangelicalism, where there's a lot of overlap um, with what we would consider kind of orthodox evangelical distinctive theology, um, but it's morphed in a way that is militaristic in a lot of ways that yeah. other white evangelicals do not agree with, right. like the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't get more white or evangelical than the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of the distinctives of Southern Baptists, uh, and they have fought for this uh, it, even for other religious groups, is religious liberty. Uh, yeah. there was one kind of controversial case in, I think it was like 2016 where the ethics and religious, uh, Liberty commission, which is a subset of the SBC, it's their kind of public policy branch. They had actually fought against the discrimination of a Muslim group, Muslim group in, uh, New Jersey, I believe it was, who was being blocked by their municipality from building a mosque. And because, um, Southern Baptists have such a distinctive of religious liberty they said that is not right liberty is not liberty unless everybody has it mm-hmm. and so uh, that it has been throughout you know that's a historical view of religious liberty and that's the kind of uh, view that a lot of Christian nationalists would butt up against they would say yes the the First Amendment says that there ought not to be an established official religion of the state but that doesn't mean that we aren't a Christian nation. Like when the, the founders were talking about religious liberty, they were really talking about religious liberty for different kinds of Christians. And so they feel uh, kind of no compunction about marginalizing, marginalizing a Muslim group yeah. because that's not what the founders necessarily had in mind, in their mind, mm-hmm. um, which is contrary to um, a widely held evangelical conviction that had been established to this point yeah
0: yeah and i think when we have the conversation of religious liberty in america like that could probably be its own podcast because of this conversation of what does religious liberty actually mean Are you just meaning religious liberty for your religion? So that way you can have freedom and liberty to operate however you choose and to um, move about society in whatever way that looks like as long as it's beneficial to your religion and you're able to fully carry that out. But that's not exactly what religious liberty is. It's actually this idea that all religions can operate freely and with the same types of liberties as the other religions. There isn't one overpowering and dominating based on like the governing law around them. And again, that's just in relation to religious liberty, but something that as we talk about Christian nationalism specifically, um, I'm constantly pulled back to this idea that in many ways, the agenda of the Christian nationalists is this urge to transform others into like virtuous believers and it's as if we want I mean of course we want everyone to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ but this forcing of our religion upon people is very different than biblical Christianity because Jesus himself didn't force himself upon anyone Like he was not forcing anyone to believe in him and even going back to that very foundational element of the Christian faith and what is it for someone to come to a point of saving faith in Christ? Now, I know you can have like the Armenian side or the Calvinist side, but the Christian nationalist view actually conflicts quite greatly with the understanding of biblical Christianity because you cannot force your faith on people. You cannot force Jesus onto people. And this Christian nationalist view is is doing exactly that. It's trying to force people to become converts, I guess, or at least to believe in the virtues and morals of the Christian faith. But how do you believe in the the virtues and morals of the Christian faith if the way that we understand salvation is, once I was blind and now I can see. So we want people to see even though the Holy Spirit has not revealed that to them. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And I think one, another historic example of this that um, shows the dangers of when there is no religious liberty, then it actually leads to the detriment of the spreading of the gospel would Mm. be um, we see this a lot. Uh, we've seen this a lot with uh, in the headlines with the Pope talking to different indigenous groups in North America. Um, the SBC recently signed a resolution with regard to this, uh, specifically in America, of the forced conversion and the the boarding schools of indigenous people groups in North America, and uh, really what they were trying to do with um, those indigenous peoples is that they were trying to civilize them, quote-unquote, and so Oof. what that meant was making them cut their hair, that meant uh, mm. putting them in slacks and, and button-down shirts rather than their traditional dress, uh, separating them from their families in a culture that is is very much Uh, tied to ancestry, um, all in the name of Jesus and Christianizing them. And what ended up happening is there was this fusion of what the dominant culture was with Christian imagery and saying, since we're, you know, we're bringing Jesus to them, that this is all okay, we can do these horrible things to them. And what ended up happening is that um, for a lot of those, those tribes and those peoples, they kind of got an inoculation to the gospel. Where it, they their body built up antibodies against it because of all of the adverse things that were imported to that message and forced upon them, uh, to where many of those people, just for the sake of you tried to eradicate my culture alone, would never consider themselves Even a Christian. Think about, yeah. yeah.
0: And that is actually a great segue into uh, the next thing we want to talk about is now we want to really look at scripture and does it have anything to say about nationalism, Christian nationalism in any way? And if so, how can we look to the Bible and kind of um, bring wisdom and guidance back to this conversation of what we're seeing happening in our country today? And the story you just shared fits so perfectly into um, what Paul was talking about in the Church of Galatia.
1: And what's interesting about uh, the the situation in Galatia At least, uh, growing up, I never heard it framed in uh, cultural terms. Mm. Um, It was about like circumcision or not circumcision. So the question was, do you say maybe let's
0: explain like what we're talking about in this? Yeah,
1: do you have to be circumcised in order to be? A Christian, because in the Old Testament, the people who are part of the nation of Israel and followers of the one true God, a sign and symbol of that was their circumcision. But no one else in the ancient world was circumcised um, because they thought that that was kind of a strange thing to do. Um, that wasn't part of their culture. And so there was this question of how Jewish do you have to become in order to be considered a faithful Christian? Right. And so what they were doing is that they were importing a cultural benchmark mm-hmm. and Making it uh, compulsory for accepting the grace of Jesus, I'd often heard that this described in terms of like just legalism, like uh, works works based righteousness, and and that it was because you actually had to complete a work in order to be considered saved. But the work that you had to complete was very much an ethnocultural superiority complex.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and of course, this dispute happening in Galatia was one of uh, a theological nature like it was dealing directly with the transition from the old covenant right that's outlined in hebrew scriptures and the new covenant of what we see of sealed in the blood of christ so there is this theological element happening but we also have to see that there is this race culture religion underlining conversation happening as well and as we look to this particular instance where paul is telling the people in galatia hey you guys are forcing and you're creating boundaries and you're creating barriers into the faith that are not required like this is not required of you to be a christian this is not required of you to have a saving faith in jesus and you the jewish people in this moment are actually making it harder for people to to step into faith because you're requiring a cultural expectation and making it a religious expectation.
1: Yeah, to mirror the language, what Paul was saying is that being circumcised is not the quote-unquote Christian position. It's not wrong to be circumcised, but what the people, they call them the Judaizers, I think a lot of commentators refer to them, is that they were doing what we see a lot of in Christian nationalism, which is they were... Um, imposing an ethno-cultural standard uh, that they believed to be the Christian position. And in order to do that, they were often shedding Christian virtue mm. in the process of doing that as they were coercing people in, ostracizing them and excluding them from community if they did not measure up to the standard that they themselves created.
0: Yeah, and Paul uses some really strong language that people might shudder at if we're trying to parallel this example back to Christian nationalism, but Paul actually describes this situation as what you are doing as Judaizers is you are actually sharing another gospel. You are sharing a false gospel. And we see Paul describe that in Galatians 1.8, where, like you said, it's not, this is not the Christian standpoint. This is your ethnocentric standpoint. And it's not wrong, That you choose to do this within your culture, continue to do that if you choose. But it is not a Christian requirement for you to tell people in order to actually step into the good news of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. That call, that declaration is a false gospel. And again, to make that parallel back to Christian nationalism, I do think is appropriate because what christian nationalism is doing is taking some very deep-seated ethnocentric views and mixing them with christianity and i understand when you grow up in and like an, in a certain ethnicity like it's hard to parse out what is my ethnicity and what is my faith because if everyone around me is christian everyone around me is also part of the same ethnicity what is culture and what is faith Sometimes those are very difficult things to parse out,
1: it is particularly if you 've never explored anything outside your what your church teaches or outside your tradition where you think whatever my pastor is preaching from the Bible is the Christian position like that is the truth, and so I think in uh, sometimes even in good faith, perhaps a lot of people who are white evangelicals yeah. say like well the the, the the standards of white evangelicals. thinking this is the Christian position, how can you say anything else? Well, when we look at uh, the, just to take an example, like black Protestants, who are um, very much similar to white evangelicals in their theology when it comes to uh, their Christology, who Jesus is, who God is, the Trinity, how you're saved by grace, uh, just all of the kind of essentials of what it looks like to, uh, be a Christian. A lot of times, in in the Black Protestant tradition, uh, if we look at the numbers, these are folks that read their Bible more, even more than than white evangelicals do. If we go by uh, what people report on their, their their surveys when they're asked, they they uh, attend church more regularly. They're more connected to the church, even, um, and they have a lot of the same theological views. And yet, a lot of them vote very differently. And so, a lot of times, we th- we have a certain cultural uh, lens on what we think the Christian position is when there are other people who are just as faithful Mm. who would see certain issues uh, completely differently. differently, Which doesn't mean that Um, you have to now abdicate and say, well, my view must be wrong because there are other Christians, but you just can't say that that's the only view that a faithful follower of Jesus could possibly hold. And when we do that, that's what Christian Mm -hmm. nationalism is. It's not saying that, that Christianity should um, prevail in America. It's saying my very specific cultural understanding of Christianity is, is what should prevail Mm. to the detriment of all other religions, even the other faithful followers of Jesus Christ who fall on a different side of this particular issue.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Christian nationalism mixes our American identity and our Christian identity and often calls them one thing. Like it holds them with the same kind of weight. It holds them with the same value and importance in our life
1: and it's not even like our Christian identity. It's the identity in a very in the thin very, sliver of tradition in yeah. this broad range of Christianity right. is what it means to be Christian, one. And then two, by that definition mm-hmm. of Christian is what it means to be American, which ends up being a very narrow subset of people who love Jesus defining the entire culture by whatever you're you're trying to do.
0: Right, and obviously that's a huge red flag just in general because when you close the Bible, like one of the last verses, speaks to the diversity that we're going to see in heaven. It speaks to the difference of people groups, the difference of languages that we're going to experience in heaven. And that essentially is the body of Christ that we should be living among now. And if you begin to move towards this Christian nationalism, you're actually removing diversity
1: and really diversity in, of all kinds. Uh,
0: right. In many ways, not only of religion, not only of ethnicity, but even among Christianity, you're also removing the diversity of denominations and views that are not... Um, oh, gosh. What is... Heretical. I was like, what is the word mm-hmm. everyone yeah. likes to throw around? That <laughs> like, everyone's a heretic. I'm yeah. sure people think we are. Um, Sorry. But... Then it becomes like that idea, everyone's a heretic, right? Because the only view that's right, the only view that is valid, the only view that is Christian, the only view that Jesus would have today if he were here is my view, but it just eliminates every type of diversity that could possibly become among a a community of people.
1: I've never even thought about it in these terms, but like heaven will be a theologically diverse place. Yes, Like we know that it will be a culturally diverse place. We know that it'll be an ethnically diverse place, but it'll actually be a theologically diverse place where there are people uh, who have different theological positions than I have. Um, Just because they're Christian doesn't mean that I have to change my theological position to theirs. I might upon further analysis, but in the same way that I'm not going to change my culture to their culture just because they're Christian and I'm a a Christian and it needs to all be homogenous – um, there will be a theological diversity in heaven, yeah. And I think we have to be okay with that, and to a certain extent, we have to celebrate that. Like there's mm. there's certain strands of Christianity where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't. That's that's not the vibe for me. I don't, I don't think that that's the vision for what the church should be. But I can't deny the fact that they are devoted. That they. Um, that they have a right understanding of who Jesus is, they have a yeah. right understanding of what salvation is. And so there's just tension there. Like I can't discount them and say they're not Christians mm-hmm. because clearly they are, even if I have deep-seated differences theologically speaking. Right. I'll just have to be comfortable with the fact that heaven's going to be theologically diverse, even if as it's ethnically diverse and culturally diverse.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And as we talk about um uh, just nationalism in general and this understanding of nationalism and trying to look back to the biblical perspective on things. Um I do think many people uh fall into the temptation or even have just fall like fallen fully in to idolizing our nation and idolizing our identity as Americans. And the Bible absolutely speaks against like idols in general, but it specifically speaks against um, seeing yourself as a citizen of of anywhere other than the kingdom of God first. And you know, like in Hebrews thirteen fourteen says, "For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come." Like we are seeking the kingdom of God. Like that is of the utmost importance to us. Um, in Ephesians two nineteen, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. And the interesting thing about that verse is saying the body of Christ is important. Like your citizenship to the kingdom of God is also part of the community that you're in, which is part of your church. So you should actually have a higher priority and a higher care for, they're not aliens. They're not strangers, but we are all fellow citizens. If we are, we share the same faith in Christ and I think oftentimes when it comes to Christian nationalism, like you're really upset about the people sitting next to you who have a different view and you, you you don't see them as fellow citizens. You actually see them as aliens and strangers. And like God is saying, no, they're not. Like you should have more of a connection. You should have more of a love. You should have more of a like kindred spirit to these people sitting next to you than to people who vote the same way that you vote
1: Right. So like a, a white Republican who is a Christian should feel more kindred spirit with the black Christian who's a Democrat than the, yes. than another white Republican who's an atheist.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
1: Too often we see the reverse is absolutely the truth. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. Right.
0: And our greatest identity and allegiance must be to Jesus and to the body of Christ, which as we were preparing for this, that was another layered element into this conversation that just kind of set off even more alarm bells to me is how often are we angered um, even by fellow Christians because they have different political views. Of course, then we just say, well, you're not a Christian, duh, but which is just petty and not biblical in so many ways. But if we really begin to understand and have this biblical perspective and biblical worldview, we should have this deep-seated connection with fellow Christians, even if they have differing views from us. Like, we should feel closer to friendship to them than we should, like, a place of being enemies. And we can't confuse um, our allegiance and in terms of like which kingdom we're serving, right? Like are we serving the kingdom of America or are we serving the kingdom of God? And I do understand that the the kind of rebuttal to a Christian nationalist is to be like, well, no, my faith is first. Of course, my faith is first. Yeah, but as you really see your view carried out, like, is that true? Is that really what is happening? Um,
1: because if it were, you'd be a lot nicer.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Christian nationalism often will fuse these two things together, right? And they just call them equal. They say they're the same. Like, if you are American, then you are Christian, and if you're Christian, then you're American. Like, those kind of become one and the same thing.
1: And in that um, sense, like, patriotism and love of country is the same as Christian nationalism. Right. And it all gets packaged into this one thing, uh-huh. where this good thing of, like, patriotism yeah. is... yeah packaged in with like this malignant tumor of Christian Mm -hmm. nationalism.
0: Right. And thinking this way also makes us think higher of our nation than like our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ sitting next to us. Um, Again, like we should just be more knit to fellow believers than we should people that are in the same Republican or Democratic Party than we are. And you talked a little bit about patriotism, and I thought it might be good to explain those two things because by the end of this podcast, we don't want you to think that we don't love the country we live in. We don't want you to think that we hate America because that's not true. There is space for patriotism. And I think oftentimes people cross that line over into Christian nationalism. And so I thought it might be good to just Talk about, yes, you can be proud of your country that you live in. Yes, you can honor the history of America and those who have fought to protect your rights and those who have come before you and just all of the amazing benefits that we have as citizens of America. But we just have to be so cautious not to cross that line from patriotism to nationalism. And back to the author that we quoted earlier. Matthew McCullough.
1: All right, all right, all right. No, not Matthew
0: McConaughey. He had actually said, like, maybe this is a question you should be asking if you've crossed from patriotism to nationalism. And it's this. Has the story of the American nation taken a central place in your understanding of redemptive history? So most pastors with the basic grounding in Christian theology would know better than to suggest openly that America is a key actor in biblical history,
1: and yet we kind of tend to blur that lines with our rhetoric. Yes. That's where you you get weird. Where you would say you would say like, well, of course America isn't there," but then you say like, "But America is significant. America is special in redemptive history. Like God has used it in a unique way, right. and so there's got to be some kind of eschatological significance." Um, That, you know, makes me fight and lose my Christian virtue. Right. Because if we lose the Christianity of America, then Christianity is lost. And that's often bound up in, again, that very narrow subset of a stream of a particular uh, theological and cultural tradition uh, Mm -hmm. within the broader scope of Christianity.
0: Yeah. Where you hear people talk about the importance of America as like God's chosen people in the same way that Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Maybe people wouldn't say it this directly, but oftentimes the way that I hear conversations happens is like, God chose Israel in the Old Testament and God chose America in the New Testament and like the continuation of his redemptive story. It's like...
1: That's breathtaking. No. That's breathtaking. No. That
0: like, yes, America is like, we are seeing its power. We are seeing its like fullness and its beauty right now, but... Who knows what's going to happen in history? And I'm not saying I hope America falls, but I am saying it does not have the same weight. God chose one set of people, the people of Israel, to bring forth his redemptive story for all nations. America just so happens to be part of the all nations category, but we are not the nation that God has chosen. We are not the people that God has chosen. Certainly, if you are Christians, you are the people of God. But so are people in all other parts of the world.
1: And people across the street who people are Democrats. People
0: across the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, should our Christian faith inform the way that we talk about public issues at all?
1: Never. Not oh. at all. Just kidding. No, it absolutely should on a very deep level. Yes. And I think we have to have a sliding scale on what is a public policy issue that is also a theological issue and what is not. A lot of times, like, depending on what tax policy you're talking about, that's not a theological issue. Mm. I mean, there might be some tertiary theological implications that that lead you in a certain way. But, like, the whatever... um, stance you fall on is not a theological issue now there are things where your theology does inform in a in a in a fairly close to central way how you will form an opinion on that so like you 're not a Christian nationalist if you advocate for the lives of the unborn uh, even though that is is very much informed. Um, by the Christian faith and the Christian worldview, or expressing concern about LGBTQ ideology or uh, uh, transgender ideology uh, in elementary schools, is makes you a Christian nationalist. Even though that your understanding of uh, sexuality and and health is rooted in your Christian worldview, and I, in a lot of ways, I think just um, empirical. Understandings of of what is healthy for a human being, uh, but that doesn't make you a Christian nationalist to uh, to move in that direction in a in a public policy standpoint. And I think challenging any policy that you believe to have a corrosive effect on society doesn't make you a Christian nationalist, even if the reason, the starting point of why you think that that is having a corrosive effect on society was rooted in your faith. You'll be able to find it other places if it's if we we are true.
0: Mm. <laughs> If truth is true, if, truth, truth, at all, is, if yeah. truth
1: is true and God defines truth mm-hmm. and we're understanding what he's saying, um, it'll always start with your faith, but you can find it in other places. Yeah, but that doesn't point. make you a Christian nationalist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is important for your faith to inform your view on the world. Like you should have a faith centered view of the world. Um, But we always have to keep that tension of what is it to be informed by our faith and to make decisions based on our faith and to carry out our faith in every aspect of our life and to not just be like, I only care about my faith on Sundays. Um, But we also have to make sure that we're not pushing forward a different agenda that, in fact, is not Jesus at all Um, and then calling it faith And I think those are some of the greatest harms that we're seeing with Christian nationalism. So please go out and and think mindfully, think um, biblically about the way that you're viewing the world, but continue to keep um, the wisdom that we see in scripture in tension with what is actually happening around us.
1: these eps found their way into the hands of chris tomlin and so we got this email out of the blue that while he was inviting us to go on this major arena tour of the united states and at that time we were like well we're not even really a band do we tell him we're not a band chris llewellyn from Rem collective shares some of his life story on the walk a podcast for worshipers join us to hear conversations and devotionals from the artists of the church Find The Walk on lifeaudio.com, worshipleader.com, or your favorite podcast platform.